I would ask that you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to our text, which comes from the Gospel of Mark. As we will continue our study, our week by week study in the Gospel of Mark, looking at chapter 12 this morning and verses 35 to 37. So Mark chapter 12, verses 35 to 37. Mark chapter 12, verses 35 to 37. Brothers and sisters, and if you would, please hear with me the reading of God's Word. And as Jesus taught in the temple, He said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Thus far is the reading of God's Word. Now, Mark, from the very outset of our study, we have noted, is attempting to draw out a confession from the hearers as they are being forced to answer that supreme question, which is this, who is Christ? Mark's very first verse of the Gospel tells us who Mark believes Christ to be. Right? He believes Him to be the Messiah and the the Son of God, and he demonstrates this, why he believes this to be, and why each and every one of us ought to believe this. By weaving together in this gospel and providing for us glimpses of the humanity of Christ and the deity of Christ, demonstrating to us how, how Christ has fulfilled so many of those Old Testament prophetic texts. And it was all these things that when Jesus asks Peter, who do people say that I am? And that when he follows that question up by saying, who do you say that I am? that Peter is able to answer him, you are the Christ. And as Matthew notes in his Gospel account, Peter adds the the Son of the living God. And I remind us all of this today because we have come to another point in the Gospel where that question, who is Christ, is clearly set before our eyes this day. Although this time, Jesus is not the one being bombarded with questions. But rather it is Jesus who is now peppering the Jewish leaders with questions of His own. And the first question that He asks, we are told, is how can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of God? Now I want you to keep your fingers in our text here and flip over to Matthew chapter 22, verses 41 to 46. Matthew 22, verses 41 to 46, because there is a slight difference in the accounts and I want us to to see how they are reconciled. So starting in verse 41, Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord? Saying, The Lord said to my Lord, 
Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word. For from that day, did anyone dare to ask him any more questions? Now, flip back over to Mark. Now, we see Matthew begins by asking the Pharisees about who the Christ is. He says, whose son is he? Right? That, is, that is the first question that we see in Matthew's Gospel. And so here is the difference between the two accounts. Matthew picks up at the very beginning of the encounter. Mark picks up after he asks them, whose son is he? And they say that he is the son of David. That's why in verse 35 then we see, Jesus then says, how can the scribes say that Christ is the Son of God? He's picking up after their response of saying, He is David's Son. Okay, So that's where, that's where we, we begin here in our text today. And I want us to see that what Jesus is doing here in asking these questions is He is going to try to correct false assumptions that they had about the Messiah. They, they failed to recognize who the Messiah was because they failed to recognize the, the full significance of all that the Scriptures had to say about the Messiah. And so Jesus makes one final appeal to them in our text today to, to prove to them who the Messiah is. And He makes this appeal to them by turning to David and what David has to say in Psalm 110. Now, Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in all of the New Testament. According to one author, Psalm 110 is either quoted or alluded to 39 times in the New Testament, which ought to tell us how important Psalm 110 is for us to understand who Jesus is. And so, before we turn any further, let us all flip to Psalm 110 together. I would like us to to read this together to see where it is that Jesus is pulling from. This is a a shorter text. It's only seven verses. But here we read in Psalm 110, starting in verse 1, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on that day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your mouth will be yours. The Lord has sworn and will not change His mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter kings on that day of His wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore, He will lift up His head. Now, it's on the basis here of what David confesses that Jesus then follows up with another question in verse 37. When he says, David himself calls Him Lord, so how is He His Son? Right? All of the Jews recognized Psalm 110 to be a messianic psalm. Now remember also, we have to take into the greater context what is going on. Just a few weeks ago, we read about Christ's triumphal entry, didn't we? And in Christ's triumphal entry, what happened? 
the people were saying, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. They were calling Him the Son of David. And so Jesus is saying, how is it that my apostles confess that I am the Son of David, that I am the the Son of God? How is it that the crowds can confess that I am the Son of David? How is it that you, you see all of my works, all of my deeds? You see my lineage, who I am, who I've come from. You see my ability to forgive sin. And yet you still continue to deny me. Right? That is what he is pointing out here. And if you remember from last week, brothers and sisters, herein lies the difference between the one who is in the kingdom of God and the one who is near the kingdom of God. Right? The one who is in the kingdom of God is one who recognizes, one who believes, one who confesses, one who trusts that Jesus is not only the Christ, but that He is the Son of God. And Jesus looks to, to prove that, to cement that truth to all who were there that day. And in doing so, He likewise ought to cement that truth to us here this morning as well. In, in what we will learn here today, it ought to wipe away or clear up any false assumptions that you might have about Jesus. And so how does Jesus prove who He is to all who were in the temple that day? Well, that is the question, brothers and sisters, that we are going to seek to answer this morning. And we are going to, to look to do this under three points this morning. And the three points are this. First, Jesus points them to the inspired word. Jesus points them to the inspired word. Point number two. Jesus points them to David's confession. Jesus points them to David's confession. And third, Jesus points them and us to its fulfillment. Jesus points them and us to its fulfillment. So point one, Jesus points them to the inspired word. Now what I want us all to see here is that as Jesus looks to prove who he is to them, what is the first thing that he does? He takes them directly to the scriptures. When Jesus is looking to prove who he is, he takes them to the scriptures. If you remember at the end of chapter 11, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders come up to Jesus and they question His authority. They question, how are you able to do these things? They said, in, in, that was in, in verse 28 of chapter 11, by what authority do you do these things? Right? They, they failed to recognize Jesus' legitimate authority. Although they would have, had they answered that question, was the baptism from, of, of John from man or from heaven? But in, in order to escape that, they said that they did not know. And so, what does Jesus do here today? Right Now, instead of, of, of asking them that sort of question, he, he points them to the very thing that they recognize themselves to be true, and that is God's Word, so that they no longer can escape it. They can't say, we don't know. But instead, in not answering, it is going to become evident for all that they simply deny Jesus to be the Messiah. They, they deny Him. They deny the very words of God. They deny the very confession of David, demonstrating themselves not to be the people of God. And so we see that Jesus pulls this text from the Old Testament. He, he pulls from Psalm 110. 
Now, I want us to see that he does this not because David is just a really believable guy. He doesn't pull from Psalm 110 because David was a forefather that they ought to listen to. But rather, he, he pulls from Psalm 10 and he quotes this text that David cites because David is not saying this in his own wisdom. But see this, Jesus says, David says this, David confesses this in the Holy Spirit. Right? David says this in the Holy Spirit. The authority of the text was not to be believed on the basis of David's words alone, but rather those words were to be believed because David was moved by the Holy Spirit to say them. This is what gives the, these words their authoritativeness. Right? That they are of divine origin. That is why they are authoritative. They were to be received, believed, and obeyed because they were words of God, not words of man. And brothers and sisters, they they all could agree upon that, that were there that day. The Jewish leaders, as well as Jesus, they could agree that these were the words of God. But sadly, we must confess and recognize, such is not the case any longer today, is it? Not only for Christians and those outside of the Christian church, But even amongst those who who claim to be Christians themselves, are there not just millions of Christians sitting in the pews who deny the inspiration of Scripture, who don't even know what the inspiration of Scripture means? This is why we have the beliefs and practices of so many Christians vary so much. Because if the Bible is not the inspired Word of God, then what is it? It is simply good and helpful advice. And so people can, can read it for themselves and can take advice that they like and they can, they can cast aside the advice that they don't find so helpful anymore. For some, Jesus' words in the red letters, that, those are the inspired words. And so we just take those red letter words and we cast aside the Old Testament as being archaic. But like with everything else, brothers and sisters, we have to ask the question, what was it that Jesus believed? Right? What did Jesus believe about the Scriptures? For Jesus is the, the head of the church. He is the head of His body. It is Jesus who is, who is king over His people. It is Jesus who causes us to, to live and move and have our being. It is Jesus who, who guides the church into all truth and righteousness. So it is Jesus we must go to and ask, what is it that He thinks about the Word of God? And what Jesus reveals to us by turning to the Old Testament to prove that He is the Messiah, by turning to the Old Testament to to demonstrate that the Messiah is not only Son but Lord, is that Jesus believed that the Scriptures and the Old Testament Scriptures were not just good advice for men. It was not just wise counsel, but Jesus believed them to be the very words of God. The words of God given to men inspired by the Holy Spirit to be believed and received. Right? That is what gives the Bible its authority. That ultimately, its author is the Holy Spirit. Right? The author of Scripture is the Holy Spirit. And Peter says this much. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21, he writes this, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own private interpretation. 
For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Spirit. And as God's Word to us, what it demands of us then, for those who who claim to be Christians, is complete, total, and utter obedience to every single word that is contained therein. Is this not what Jesus Himself demonstrated? Right In Jesus' coming, what did He do? He fulfilled the old covenant law in order that He might redeem us to be His people. And so I ask, how can anyone claim to be a Christian and yet deny the inspiration of the Holy Scriptures which Christ Himself affirms? Jesus treated these words as God's words. He talked, as we've seen today, that these are God's words. Which means for anyone to deny the inspiration of these words being from the Holy Spirit, in fact, is simply calling Christ a liar. If these words be not inspired, then Christ is a liar. For Christ cites them about Himself. The Old Testament Scriptures are the reason and the grounds that Jesus repeatedly says. Why is it that you do not know about Me? And how many times does he, he, he say, you should know about Me, you should recognize Me, because look what the prophets have said about Me. And yet they did not understand Him. They did not understand Him. This is one reason why I believe the church is so watered down today. Why the church is so willing to compromise on truth today. Because if the Word of God is simply advice and is not divine revelation, then what happens to the preaching of God's Word? It becomes moralistic preaching. It becomes, do these ten things to become a better you. What happens if the Word of God is not the divine words of God? Well, then people see no reason to read it. People see no reason to understand it. People see no reason to know it. And if you don't know it, what happens? You fall headlong into error. This is what we see going on all around us. This is what Jesus chides those two on the road of Emmaus for, doesn't He? If you recall in Luke 24, Jesus is on the road to Emmaus and He he confronts these two men who are there and He asks them, what's going on? And the men tell Him, oh, you didn't hear about this, this one who was crucified. And they said, we hoped He was the one to redeem Israel believing that he had failed in his mission. And what does Jesus respond in Luke chapter 24, verse 25? O foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then what does Jesus do? He takes them through Moses, and He takes them through the prophets, and interprets to them all that those texts say about Himself. So to know Christ, brothers and sisters means to know and to believe the Scriptures and the Old Testament Scriptures as well, that they reveal to us something about Christ, that they are God's words to us about Christ by which we come to know Him. I ask, how can you even trust the New Testament? Or how can you believe what the New Testament says about Jesus if you do not know what the Old Testament says about who He will be? You can't possibly know. The Old Testament lays the foundation for Christ's coming. The Old Testament lays the foundation for Christ's arrival. The New Testament records for us that arrival. But what you need to see 
is that the entirety, Old Testament and New Testament, is one continuous revelation to us about Jesus Christ our Lord. Both written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and as such must be received as divine revelation. And so Jesus here demonstrates in our text today that the Scriptures are the inspired Word of God and because they were inspired, He turned to them to prove that He was the Messiah, not only the Messiah, but the Son of David and the Lord of David. He turns to the Old Testament text to prove His identity to all who were before Him that day. This then leads us into point number two, which is that Jesus points them to David's confession. Now we said this quotation comes from Psalm 110, verse 1, where he says, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And because of what David says, Jesus asked them, How can the Messiah only be David's son? When David himself says that the Messiah will be his Lord. Right Here in lies the false assumption of those Jewish leaders. And it was that the Messiah was only going to be a man. Right? The Jewish leaders believed he was only going to be a man. They believed that the Messiah was only going to be David's son. That he was only going to be someone who came from the lineage of David. But I ask, how would anyone know the difference though? There were so many sons that came from, from David's lineage. How would you know which one the Messiah would be? Why is it that Jesus' claim as Messiah is any more believable than any any other of the sons of David? And it is because of this, brothers and sisters. Because to be the Messiah was not only to be David's son, but it was to be David's Lord. But in order to be David's Lord, what did that mean? It means you had to exist prior to David. To be David's Lord meant you had to exist prior to David. And so it means not only being man, it means being divine. And this alone belongs to Jesus and no other of David's descendants. Jesus alone is the God-man. And we find plenty of evidence of this in the Scriptures, do we not? That Jesus fits the description of what is being described for us today. We can think back to 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 7, when God makes the uh, covenant with David. And He's going to give David a descendant who is going to who reign in this everlasting kingdom upon the throne. Well, who is that? Well, what are we, what are we told in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1? It begins with the, the, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. And it goes through chasing generations from Abraham to David, from David to the deportation to Babylon, from the deportation to Babylon to Christ, proving that Jesus is David's son. He he fits that bill. He fits that description. This is why David could call him his son. But why can David call him his Lord? Well, this also, our inspired word reveals to us. It was in the Gospel of John, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, that we are told this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
And then in verse 14, what are we told? This Word who was with God has become flesh and He has dwelt among us. And who is He? It is Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus is the one that the angel told Joseph about in Matthew chapter 1, verse 20 and 21. He says, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son. You will call His name Jesus, and He will save His people from their sins. So I want you to see, brothers and sisters, it is this Jesus who David believed in and confessed to be His Son and His Lord. And this really comes out for us in the language of Psalm 110. The two words that are used here for Lord are the words Yahweh and Adonai. And so when David declares that the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, what you need to understand is that what he's saying is that Yahweh said to Adonai, sit at my right hand. Now everyone knows that Yahweh is a distinctive name of God. Right? There are many titles given to our Lord. And Yahweh is one that most often is given to God. That is, that is the most distinguished of God's titles. That is one that the, that the Jews were, were afraid to say. And so here he calls him Yahweh, that, that Lord. But what about Adonai? What does Adonai mean? Well, Adonai means Lord or ruler or sovereign one. And it is this Adonai that is also used of God. We see this in Psalm chapter 8 and verse 1. We read, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. He says, O Yahweh, our Adonai, or our Sovereign One, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. He uses Yahweh and Adonai to describe that one Lord. Right? Both are titles for God. And David now uses that title for God to describe Jesus Christ the Messiah. He applies that title, Adonai, to the Messiah. And so Jesus is now asking these Jewish leaders, how can He say that? How can, he say, how can, how can you simply say that the Messiah is man when David recognizes the Messiah to be Lord? He recognizes the Messiah to be God. Explain that to me, please. But they couldn't. Right? Jesus closed their mouths and all who stood around, we are, we're told in verse 37, heard Him gladly. Perhaps there were some that day that heard Him and believed and recognized. They, they got it. They knew that Jesus was saying, I am the Messiah, and as Messiah, I am both David's Son and David's Lord. But the Jewish leaders do not understand this. And so Jesus is pointing out their, their inconsistency in claiming David as their own. Because Jesus is saying, whoever denies me, you deny David's Lord. To deny me is to deny the Lord of David. You can't claim David. You can't claim to believe David and believe the words of David and yet go along denying David's Lord. You can't do it. And yet we know they will not believe. They will continue to stiffen their hearts. They will continue to be hard-hearted against our Lord and seek all the more to put Him to death. 
But this is what I want you to see, brothers and sisters. What I want us to see going on in this text, what is happening. And what we see going on throughout all of human history. And what we see going on even today. And that is that people are constantly trying to strip strip Christ of His deity. People are constantly trying to strip Christ of His deity. And no one loves this more than the devil. Right? The devil loves it when you believe that Jesus is simply a man. Because he knows to deny that deity means that any true righteousness, any faith, any justification, sanctification, glorification, you will never obtain in believing in simply a human Messiah. But also know this, brothers and sisters, you will not attain any of those things also from simply a divine Messiah. We all needed a Savior. But we needed a Savior who was both God and man. Because there was no other way for divine justice to be satisfied than by man. For it was man who sinned against God. So it was man who had to suffer. It was man who had to acquire salvation through his death. It was man who had to be punished for man's sin. For God not to punish man for man's sin would actually be injustice. It would not do justice. And so God had to punish man for man's sin. But also, brothers and sisters, satisfaction could not be made except that an infinite ransom be paid for it. Because our sin deserved infinite punishment and infinite death. And this is something that no mere man could give, but this is something only that the Son of God could do. Who as to His divine nature then was able to overcome and apply salvation to us in His overcoming. Now I want you also to see though that the the Son of God is not lesser than the Father. The Lord said to my Lord, there is one God. They are both called Lord. Right? Both those titles of God are used of them both. They are co-essential. They are co-eternal. They are co-equal in their being. This is why David is able to apply those terms to both. And so in pointing the Jewish leaders to David's confession, found written in the Word of God, which comes about through the inspiration of this of the Holy Spirit, Jesus proved that He was the Messiah. And as Messiah, He proved that He was both God and man. He was both Son and Lord. This takes us then to our third and final point this morning, which is that Jesus pointed them and all of us to its fulfillment. I ask, what, what event here is being described in Psalm 110, which Jesus now quotes in verse 36? What, a, what event is being described here? Well, it's not something that had already occurred. What, what Jesus here is quoting is, is something that is prophetic. Something that will come to pass in the future. And so, what that event is that Jesus is pointing us to all to, as one more evidence to prove to us who He is, is His exaltation. Right? Jesus is pointing us to His exaltation. And more specifically, what Jesus is pointing us to is that thing that the the theologians call Christ's session. He is pointing us to Christ's session. And that word session 
comes from the Latin word seated or to sit. Right? So he's, he's pointing us to that time when Christ is going to take that seat next to the Father. This is what God says to David, that this will occur, that the Lord will say to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And now Jesus quotes this text in reference to himself, saying, you will know that I am he when I am exalted and I take my rightful seat at the right hand of God in heaven. And after his death, what happens? The apostles, his disciples now begin to understand this. And they themselves now now go about teaching this as they understand the, the significance of Jesus quoting Psalm 110. This is why Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 25, that Christ must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. This is why the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 1, verse 3, that the Son is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by His word of His power. And after making purification for sin, He sat down on the majesty on high, having become superior to the angels as a name He inherited is more excellent than theirs. This session of Christ then also teaches us though that what we are speaking about in Christ taking that seat is Christ as our mediator. There, there is no more glory that can be given to the Son of God. Right? Christ never, the Son of God never gave up His glory. And so these texts that, t- that speak about Jesus Christ being exalted and taking His rightful place next to the Father is speaking about Jesus Christ taking His seat as mediator. As mediator. And the significance of sitting at the right hand of God is that it now symbolizes His power. right? That power that He has to forgive sin, to convert sinners, to cleanse, to justify. That authority He has now to judge both the living and the dead. This is what the church has always confessed. This is what we confess in the Apostles' Creed. This is what we confess in the Nicene Creed. This is what it means to be a Christian. To confess that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. That He was born of the Virgin Mary. That He suffered under Pontius Pilate. That He was crucified, died, and was buried. That He descended into hell. That on the third day He rose again. That He now ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of Father. And from there He will come to judge the living and the dead. This is what we must confess. That Jesus has taken His seat. That He has fulfilled this prophetic text. And having fulfilled this text, I ask, how can anyone any longer go on denying that Jesus is the Messiah? That Jesus is both David's Son and David's Lord. That Jesus Christ is the God-Man. That He is God from God, true light from true light, begotten, not made. And that He became incarnate by the Spirit and with the Virgin Mary and was made man. Right? The, the Scriptures prove this to us. And so like Jesus Himself, brothers and sisters, we must learn to go to the Scriptures to prove who Jesus is. Right? We must go to the Scriptures to tear down every argument and every false assumption about who Jesus is. This is what Paul tells us 
in First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty, lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every captive to obey Christ. So I ask, what does Christ's session then mean? What does Christ sitting at the right hand of the Father mean? Well, it means that all the work that Christ was sent to do has been accomplished. It means that now He administers His office as mediator and majesty and glory, having discharged His duty perfectly. It also demonstrates that everything that the Scriptures say about Him is true, as the apostles bear witness to this. If you recall in Acts chapter 1, there it is that Jesus ascends. And the apostles are eyewitnesses to His ascension. And they see the cloud take Him away to be with the Father in heaven. And so it is recorded for us in Scripture so that you might hear this, that you might know this, that you might believe this and be saved. Jesus quoted this to those Jewish leaders that day, that they might believe this and be saved. It is being preached to you this morning so that if you have not believed and trusted in Jesus Christ as both God and man, that you would hear this, believe, and be saved. And for the others, the others of you who do believe this, it is declared so that knowing that Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, it would cause you to to grow in your trust in Him. That it would cause you to grow in your dependence on Him. Then it would cause you to fear Him all the more and to honor Him all the more and to serve Him all the more knowing that He now reigns in heaven above. Right? Jesus will not one day reign. He now reigns. He now reigns as King over heaven and over earth. And so we are to be His loyal subjects in, sub- in submission to all that He says. As we now understand the, the great and glorious benefits of Christ's session for us as He intercedes in our behalf. And we can know that everything that He pleads for us before the Father, the Father will listen and do. Everything He pleads in our behalf, the Father will not deny His Son. As Christ is now gathering the elect, as He is giving us grace in His gifts, as He is protecting us from the evil one, as He today preserves every member of this church who believes, and He will continue to preserve us as He places His foot upon the neck of His opposition and His enemies, which tells us that no matter how many enemies Christ, the church, or the Gospel will have, no matter how much persecution and suffering that you will have, we can know that no enemy will prevail and all of Christ's enemies will be made to lie face down before the Lord, who is our Lord, and who is David's Lord, when Christ returns in all His glory. Brothers and sisters, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word this day. We thank You that You, by the inspiration of the, script, from the uh, inspiration of the Spirit, have uh, allowed men, your prophets and your apostles, to to pen these very writings, and that you have indwelt us with your Holy Spirit, that we might believe and trust in what you have said. We thank you, Lord, that you have provided for us uh, the only necessary atonement that there was, and that is Christ Jesus, who is both God and man. 
we ask, Lord, that if there are any here who are not trusting in Him that this day, that, Lord, they would turn to, to Christ by repentance and faith and place their, their faith and their hope in this one who is alone Savior. We ask, uh, Father, likewise, that you would, by your Spirit, uh, teach us uh, what it is you'd have us to learn through your Word this day and that you would cause us to apply it and to walk uh, in godliness and in all your ways before the world as we go about this upcoming week. And we ask this, Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen.